Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, you all. How are you? Welcome to episode 67. I'm Danielle Delamar, and I am outside here in my new neighborhood as I record this. I'm actually right outside a coffee shop. <laughs> I was working on the podcast, and um, I don't think the people next to me inside the coffee shop want to hear me record the intro. <laughs> they did not sign up for that when they came to the coffee shop today. Um, so yeah, I'm just outside right now recording the intro so that I can go inside and attach the intro to today's interview. Um, I don't know if you can hear the cars out here, can you? I'm sort of near a busy street. Uh, so anyway, the interview today is with Thomas Jelmy, who is an interpersonal development coach, and he is going to help you no matter your situation. If you are struggling with all the political crap that we struggle with in academic jobs, um, this episode is going to help you. If you are just trying to feel better in your academic job and try to understand yourself a little better and try to figure out a new way to approach your job, this episode is going to be good for you. <laughs> if you are trying to decide whether or not to leave academia, this episode will be good for you. Um, if you are pivoting out of academia, you've already made the decision and you're moving on, this episode is good for you. It's the big theme in this episode is to know yourself, right? And if you can know yourself, you can connect authentically to other people. You can collaborate. You can connect authentically to yourself and make decisions that are in line with your best interests. I love the way he talks about sort of your inner GPS and listening to your emotions. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. And here's Thomas Jelmy now. Have a great week. Hello, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. I'm talking to Thomas Jelmy, interpersonal development coach. Thomas, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have this conversation. It is my pleasure, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Well, I am so excited to talk to you about interpersonal, um, interpersonal communication, interpersonal competence. I used to teach interpersonal communication back during my days as a faculty member. Um, so it should be really interesting to hear sort of your take on it. And my guess is that the thing that drove me crazy about teaching interpersonal communication research in the higher ed classroom was that we didn't talk enough about our connection to self. And I know that's mm. something that you talk a whole lot about in your work. So will you give us just a brief little um, snippet, and we'll get into this a little bit more in a bit, but tell us a little bit about how you understand interpersonal communication and, and how it's connected to being deeply connected to yourself as well. Oh, 
All right, yeah, I'd be happy to do so. Well, first of all, let me say that my focus is not uh, specifically on interpersonal communication, ah. but, but it is, of course, a part uh, of what I do. I do interpersonal development. Now, let me briefly um, mention how I write interpersonal, for example, on my website. If you look it up, you'll see that interpersonal is written with a capital P in the middle, which symbolizes that anything interpersonal is affected by personal. So in other mm-hmm. words, uh, in other words, if we, sp- if we speak about interpersonal competence, um, wherever people want to achieve something together in leadership or in uh, team collaboration or in customer interaction or even in families or, or uh, among friends, the ability to truly connect with others, to build relationships, and to also maintain these relationships when it gets a bit more bumpy and difficult and maybe tension goes up and conflict arises. This ability is an absolute key, of course. Now, to fully develop this ability, a good relationship and connection with yourself is crucial. And that's the personal competence part. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, it's like yeah, there's an inside part, an inside game, and there's an outside game, the interaction part. Uh, and they both go hand in hand. They belong together. Great interpersonal competence and skills, in my opinion, and also in my experience, is not possible without having a good connection and relationship with yourself first of all. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And that's what I was saying earlier in our conversation, that um, that is what I always felt like we were missing when we mm. when uh, we were teaching interpersonal communication in higher ed, that, that mm. connection to self. So I want to talk more about the connection to self. It's super, super important. But before we do that, will you tell us a little bit about how you got where you're, you are in terms of your career? Because this is not you know, a career path that everyone takes. I think I'm going to be an interpersonal development coach. Like, how did that even happen? (laughs) That's a great question. I ask myself sometimes. No, but all joking (laughs) aside, um, let me start by what what I do today. I work with leaders in organizations, with executives on various uh, levels, up to top management in corporate. Um, But I am not an academic myself. So I have a quite, a, quite a colorful biography. I started off earning my first money in my late teenage years cutting hair. I was a hairdresser to begin with, right? Okay. And, then, and then after that, I thought, mm, it's a three years apprenticeship, you know? And then after that, I thought, okay, that was nice, but mm, can't be it for the rest of my life. So... I tried all kinds of things. I even spent one and a half years touring around Switzerland uh, with a circus. Yeah, living in living in a trailer, and uh, officially, I was doing uh, press uh, press relations and marketing. But in fact, I did I did everything. You you have to do everything. You got your hands dirty, and and you help with everything. And then. Um, I joined the former Swiss national airline, Swissair, in my late 20s. 
as a flight attendant because, you know, I thought, wow. And that was the first time uh, I really felt like, okay, this is finally an environment and an activity where I can bring in everything I have and everything I am and I have to give and have to offer my language skills, my people skills and everything that. So I, I was very, very happy flying around the whole world and leading cabin crew. So I quickly moved up um, the career path in, in that domain towards becoming a maître de cabine. That's what they called it at that time. Most airlines call it purser or in-flight manager. So you are responsible for everything that happens behind the cockpit door, well, in the mm. passenger cabin. Passenger safety, of course, and um, uh, quality of service, etc. And I spent yeah, almost eight years with Swissair and learned a lot about what really works in interaction between human beings mm. and what doesn't and what doesn't work, what connects and what disconnects, what de-escalates a situation and what puts oil to the fire. Because if you imagine on, you know, 30,000 feet in a narrow cabin, 300 people all together, most of them nervous in one way or another because it's an it's an unnatural um, environment and so the job of cabin crew is really to be very very mindful and aware and present to anticipate potential problems and when they arise and most of them are interpersonal to solve <laughs> them solve them on the spot but without being able to get help from the outside. You cannot call the police. Mm -hmm. and, with, and without escalating, or in other words, by maintaining the relationship. So this is very demanding. This is very, very demanding. And I still benefit from these days uh, today. And then mm -hmm. Swiss Air grounded in 2001, about a month after 9-11. And then I embarked on the current uh, episode or or. Uh, chapter of my biography. I joined a small consulting company in Zurich, specializing in leadership development, spent eight years with them, got into training, coaching, people development, and then started my own company uh, 11 years ago. So that's the story in short. And it may sound like, oh, you went, you jumped from one angle to another. Um, and it also felt like that sometimes. But now, looking back and connecting dots, I can very clearly see the red thread that went through my entire biography, and that's listening to people and supporting people. Already when I started cutting people's hair, I was listening. I was listening to stories, and I heard stories uh, that nobody else heard Yeah, mm -hmm. while, I was, while I was cutting people's hair. Okay, I love this, by the way. I love this. Um, there, I mean, I hear this all the time from people who have really dissected their careers and really thought about them, that there, there is always this common thread. And if we don't do sort of that self-reflexive work, we don't, we don't necessarily see it. Mm. Um, so, so, okay. I want to ask you a couple questions. One is, you were saying that as a flight attendant, you had to be mindful, aware, present. You had to solve problems on the spot without 
help from the outside world. Um, tell me about um, what kind of energy that took and um, how you sort of grew over the course of your career as a flight attendant. What kind of energy it took? Well, it took an energy of, you mean quality rather than quantity of energy, right? If I get your question right. Yeah, yes, yes. I, I guess I'm... I guess I am thinking in terms of quantity too, right? Mm -hmm. Like it did it take a lot of mental energy uh, at first and were you able to grow to the point where it didn't take as much energy or is it something oh, yes. that's always come mm. naturally to you? Mm. Well, a little bit of both. First of all, of course, like any new job or activity, uh, it's new. So it's new to your brain. You need to build new connections, new habitual uh behaviors um and and for for yeah for quite a while you're you're outside your comfort zone because you have to learn something new and you have to expose yourself to 300 people in a plane and uh yeah you know when when you walk through a, a passenger cabin as somebody who's in charge and wearing a uniform you're walking everybody else is sitting and everybody's looking at you right mm -hmm. but at, at that at that time, much more than now, because now everybody's looking at some screen, right? <laughs> yeah, you're exposed and you also have to expose yourself, especially when there is uh, trouble, when you have a delay, for example, you cannot hide in the galley and close the curtain, although some do it. <laughs> um, you you got to get out there and, and expose yourself to questions and to people who may be frustrated and angry. And, yeah, but you have, you, you're there for that, right? So yeah. it takes a lot of energy. It's a very demanding profession, also a very often underestimated profession in this regard. It takes a lot of physical energy. So mm -hmm. it's, it's physically quite demanding, um, especially short range flights. You know, you go up and down and up and down and up and down, takeoffs and landings and short flights and high speed, high speed uh, service procedures at that time. And, uh, and, and the long haul flights are physically demanding before, uh, because of the time differences, for example, right? right. And, and um, mentally and emotionally, it also takes energy, of course, right? You, you need to keep your own emotions in check. You need to learn how to self-regulate, of course. You cannot, mm -hmm. you cannot let your own anger or, or frustration just be shown, right? And it can be quite challenging not to react to somebody else's anger with anger. Hmm? Our so-called mirror neurons in the brain make us feel what somebody else is feeling. And so we quickly get angry when we are confronted with somebody who's, who's angry. So self-regulation, emotional intelligence, uh, emotional self-awareness, empathy, etc. So these are all aspects that are needed and that you, of course, also develop over time. And like with any other profession, you're outside the comfort zone in the beginning and then your comfort zone will grow over time. And uh, what used to be outside your comfort zone has become at some point your new, your new normal, you know, your new habits, 
new skills, new competencies. Okay. And so how similar is this work that you did as a flight attendant in terms of your communication and your ability to, you know, self-regulate and be mindful and all of that? How similar is that to what's required of the leaders and the executives that you're working with now? And how is it Hmm. different? I love the question, Danielle. It may at first glance be two worlds apart. Mm-hmm. When, when in fact, it's the very same principles that <laughs> apply <laughs> because, you know, I, I tend to say it doesn't matter whether you're in the B2B business, business to business, or in the B2C business, which is short for business to consumer. It doesn't matter because it's always H to H. It's human to human. It's human beings working with other human beings, following them or not, doing what needs to be done because they want to do it in an engaged way or just, you know, working by, by the rule book and not going any extra miles. So these are differences in quality. And so if you want to work well with others, if you want, especially as a leader, as an executive, if you want to mobilize others, if you want them to do what needs to be done because they want to do it and they, they do it with the purpose and not because you tell them, then you need to connect with people. You need to, you need to care and you need to show that you care. You know, there's this beautiful quote by Theodore Roosevelt who seemingly said, people don't care how much you know before they know how much you care. And this mm. is so true when it comes to, uh, to leadership. So this goes from simple conversation, simple everyday interaction, uh, all the way through to conflict management. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I also often say to executives, look, it all depends on what you want. If you don't mind or don't even care uh, that if if somebody in a conversation with you, you know, stands up, leaves the room and slams the door, if you don't mind, then you can go freestyle. But (laughs) if if you want to keep that relationship, if you want to create an, an environment and the climate of psychological safety, where people feel safe enough to say what's on their mind, admit mistakes, and ask for guidance, then you might want to choose a different path and stick to some basic principles. And they are the same wherever people work uh, together, whether it's in in, in a a passenger cabin of an airliner or uh, on the executive floor uh, of a corporate organization. Okay, so... um... The way I know many of my listeners are connecting to this is that in a university environment, um, we're often, and I'm sure this is true of any environment, really, any work environment, but we're often dealing with uh, a lot of conflict, a lot of stress, a lot of sort of gossiping. Um, You know, we have like 
our our quote unquote upper management, you know, like our deans and our provosts who are not communicating well. Um, I was at a university where our chancellor was not communicating well, and it created a, a very unsafe environment. And um, it was really sort of scary to say anything at all. Um, and so I wanna ask you, how important is it to um, create a safe environment? What are the benefits of it? Why do we need it? Well, first of all, let me um, distinguish uh, a climate of psychological safety, the one I just mm. described a moment ago, um, from a climate of psychological threat or danger. Yes, great. Mm -hmm. okay. that, that, would be, that would be a climate, a work climate or an atmosphere where everybody gets defensive already when the boss comes in. For example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, everybody is like, Ooh, okay, who's going to be, who, who's going to be shouted at next, right? Mm -hmm. And let's first look at what happens as a consequence if that's the normal, if that's the climate. Well, it's very, very logical that in such a climate, where blaming is uh, is 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 happening, where finger pointing is happening, where when a mistake happened, the main questions are, why did it happen? And who's to blame? Whose mm -hmm. fault is it? Mm -hmm. People, people are in, in a constant state of elevated stress, because that's threatening. And we react very naturally to, uh, to, to any threat with a fight, flight or freeze response. And you can see all three in employees and organizations. Some fight, so which means I, they become offensive, they attack, right? they become aggressive. Others flee, so they become defensive. And others freeze, they shut down. Right? So we, we see all, all three strategies. Now, just imagine what this means uh, for innovation, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What this means for creativity. It's like it's you, you can even just by thinking about it, you can sense how this is is massively impaired by such a climate. People will people tend not to really collaborate. They tend to compete. They tend to look for themselves and their own interests first, which is often referred to as silo thinking, and they will tend to um, try and. Uh, sweep mistakes under the rug, hoping that nobody will notice, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, which, which can even be dangerous yeah, in, in, some, in some environments, yeah? Now, on the other far end of the spectrum, we find a climate of psychological safety and trust, where especially the way mistakes are handled, is completely different. Mistakes in such an environment are not a reason to punish people, but an opportunity to learn. So when a mistake happens, the meeting will not be around questions like, why did it happen and whose fault was it? But around questions like, how could this happen? What needs to be done now? And how can we support you? 
And what can we learn from this for the future as a team, as an organization, as individuals? And in such an environment, people will openly say when they made a mistake. Mm. They, will, they will openly say, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Can you help me? And they will support each other, right? Mm. And this is not just about well-being. This is also about profitability. It's about productivity and profitability because the brain in a positive state is much more productive than a brain under stress. And not just the brain, the whole system, of course, under stress is flooded by uh, substances like uh, adrenaline and cortisol, which are the stress hormones. And they put you in this high and heightened state of alertness and your productivity and your creativity is, um, is, will not be at its best. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I guess I just have, because I'm listening here and I have like an immediate follow-up question about um, this environment of psychological safety and trust. Mm -hmm. um, when we have leaders who are developing that, um, we are, is that also teaching us to connect better with ourselves? Um, will you talk a little bit more about that connection to self and how that is connected to connection with others? Well, it all begins with a leader's connection with himself or herself if, uh, if they want to create such a climate. Because the, 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 the most important instrument you have as a leader to influence others and to, to make others do what needs to be done is your own behavior. Mm -hmm. what, what you demonstrate on a daily basis in all your actions, statements, and behaviors. And you know better than I do that all behavior is communication, right? So actions speak louder than words. We have all learned that. So a leader, a leader is per definition, under constant observation because people take him or her as a reference and much more what they do than what they say as a reference. So there's this famous quote attributed to Mahatma Gandhi uh, saying, be the change you want to see in the world. And that's, that's leadership. Be mm -hmm. the change. Be, be the culture, demonstrate the culture you want in your organization. And, and, and to, to, to finalize my answer to your question, how does this relate to being connected with, with self? Well, uh, everything has to do with that mm. because how you, let me, let me say it like this, what, you, what, what it looks like inside you will show on the outside. Mm -hmm. very very amen natural. amen mm -hmm. huh? the as the inside so the outside if you're stressed out completely and there's turmoil inside yourself 
Well, guess how it will manifest in your behavior and your reactions to others. You will not be very relaxed when somebody comes to your desk, wants something from you, needs something from you. Or, as opposed to that, when you're at peace inside, no matter what's happening around you, when you are inside like the eye of the storm, because you're at peace with yourself, then anything can happen outside and the waves can go really high, but you will have a calm composure and you can be the guiding light for others, like the lighthouse, you know, in the storm, standing there unaffected by what's happening. Mm -hmm. So we are through this relaxed, peaceful state. That's where we find innovation and creativity and collaboration and all the good stuff. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. When you are relaxed, when you're in a state of inner uh, tranquility, equanimity, peace, you have a much better access to everything you know, to all your experiences, and to your intuition. It's all mm -hmm. there. It's all there. As opposed to you being stressed out and trying to figure out everything with your thinking brain, with your intellectual uh, intelligence. That's just one little part of who we are and what we're able uh, to accomplish, what we can accomplish with our intellect. We also have an emotional intelligence. And that's the one that plays a more crucial role when it's about uh, human to human interaction. So how much um, hmm, time and work and sustained uh, practice does helping leaders to connect to themselves take? I mean, this is lifelong work, is it not? This is lifelong learning. It's a journey without a destination. Mm -hmm. And so how long does it take? cannot really be answered um <laughs> but but still I, I would be inclined to say it depends first of all on uh where i start working with somebody so how far is somebody already on that journey do we start from scratch and they never heard of any of these things <laughs> or am i talking to and working with someone who's already done some work and that's 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 a big difference of course and then it also depends of course on how open uh, somebody is for change and growth and development uh, that's of course absolutely crucial i don't work with people who i need to convince first mm. i don't do that i, I don't do mm -hmm. that did you do that at one point and then you found out that you weren't going to do that anymore? Or have you just always known not to do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, of course, I also went through a, a lot of uh, training and development programs myself, uh, coaching training, for example. And one of the first things you learn when you, when you learn how to coach is that um, uh, 
coaching needs to be voluntary. Mm -hmm. You cannot, you cannot, uh, you know, order somebody to be coached. I, I, you know, it's just, uh, there's no, there's no openness. Um, it's, it's, it's a waste of time and energy. So how are you gauging um, openness um, when someone comes to you and says, look, I really need help in this leadership position. I'm trying to do this, this, and this. Um, what are some of the ways that you're able to read their openness early on? Well, I, of course, I have a first conversation with uh, anyone I, I uh, work with. I call it a chemistry meeting where it's... Uh, it's about chemistry, really. It's about, you know, having, getting a feeling for each other and whether there could be trust established quickly and whether there would be a basis for us to talk very openly about everything and anything that may pop up as relevant. So that's one thing, chemistry. But also during such a conversation, I, um, yeah, I, I, I look for clues as to whether somebody really wants to change something and wants to do the work also, or whether, for example, somebody was sent to work with a coach, you know. Mm, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, in the corporate setting, uh, it's often, well, it sometimes is the executive uh, or the leader himself or herself who reaches out to me and says, hey, look, I have a few uh, topics here on my plate I'd like to uh, talk about with someone and get some guidance and get some some support. Or I have, I'm aware I might have some blind spots and I want to shed some light on, on them to, to reduce them. But also very often, somebody within the organization is the sponsor of the coaching for this person. It's mm. usually uh, their manager. Mm. And then it's really important for me to find out, has this been agreed? And is the person who's supposed to be uh, receiving the coaching really willing to, to embark <laughs> on, on a journey? Or um, at the other end of, of the spectrum, is this like their last, how would you say that, last resort? The last mm -hmm. opportunity they give this person before they they say goodbye, you know, and then that would, for me, th this would be a, a no-go. I don't do that. Got it. I work with people who are already, you know, successful, who, 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 who don't, you know, I'm not a therapist, you know, I'm a coach. So mm -hmm. I work with people who are already successful and I support them in moving to the next level of their growth and development based on their willingness top executives people high high up in hierarchy they often um they often think and believe that they are successful because they are who they are and because they do what they do and how they do everything that's why they are successful and mm. their success is proof for that Mm -hmm. which is which is legitimate of course which can be understood and which is also true up to a certain point mm -hmm. up to that point where somebody is 
also successful despite some of the things they do, despite some of their actions and behaviors, especially in the interpersonal domain. So they, <laughs> can you can you see like there are two sides? You're yes, you Absolutely. are successful because, but you you are also successful despite. Yeah, very absolutely. often, uh, very often, these are really blind spot topics. So people are not aware of what they're doing that completely demotivates their people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and therefore and therefore they are not aware of how much more effective they could be, and how much easier their job could be if they were if they would just you know stop some of the things they're doing, for example, and reduce those blind spots by asking for feedback. Because how can you change something that's annoying people if nobody tells you? And the higher up you go in hierarchy, the the less you will receive open, honest feedback because people don't dare telling you what they really think. And that's where I come in. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. And I'm just thinking in, uh, in higher ed, um, we are becoming more okay with coaching, but it's not historically something that we are as comfortable with as the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I think it's really nice to have this conversation so that people have a, a better sense of what a coach does, particularly yes. if you're in that, um, that, you know, executive role that's really high, you know, like a, like a provost or, or a chancellor or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so with all of that, I want the conversation to be able to, you know, take a direction that you want it to go in um, a bit. Yeah. So, so tell me what it is you want us to know, and we'll, we'll talk about that for a bit. All right. So the first thing that really pops up in my mind is, Get to know yourself. Mm. Get to know who you really, really are and connect with your with your essence and with your inner guidance, not in a spiritual way, but in a way that you you can you connect with your emotions, for example. Emotions are like our inner GPS. Mm. They give us hints. They give us guidance when we have to make decisions. Do I have to go left or do I have to go right? What feels better? Most are completely disconnected from their inner guidance and don't even really know who they really, really are. Why is that? Because, you know, we are all born with this inner clarity and guidance but then very early on we start giving more importance to what other people want from us Mm -hmm. and what other people want us to be or become or do so we pay more attention to what others want and we try to please others we try to achieve what others think is right for us more some more and some less of course, there's a, there's a spectrum. But in general, um, don't be afraid to look into yourself. D- embark on the journey of exploration. What are your likes and dislikes? 
What makes you feel alive? And what drains you of your energy? Pay attention to these things. Take notes. Start journaling about these things to become more aware. Take, you know, take personality uh, questionnaires. Find out what kind of personality type you are. There are there's a, a vast number of um, of models and profiles out there you can take. Take as many as you like. Every every time you get an additional perspective on on who you are and why you think the way you think, why you act the way you act in some situations. So try to get a better understanding for yourself so that you can also feel more empathetic towards yourself mm-hmm. and develop develop some self-compassion and not be so, you know, so hard on yourself. Many people are so, so hard and critical on themselves. Um, I promote the idea of becoming your own best friend, Mm. you, yourself. The most important relationship you will ever have in your entire life is the one you're having with yourself. Mm. And and so to use an image uh, or an analogy from my airline uh, times, you all know the safety demonstration right, before takeoff mm-hmm. when they explain what to do when the yellow oxygen masks come down. They tell you very clearly to put on your own mask first before you even think of helping anyone else. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because depending on the speed of decompression, you will uh, lose consciousness within 10 to 15 seconds. And then of what help can you be to others? None, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and that can really be transferred as a, as a life principle. Self-care is so, so, so important. How can you be truly there for others if you are not in a good place in the first place, right? You cannot, you cannot pour from an empty bottle. Amen. Get to know yourself and then and then take good care of yourself so that you can then mm. care for the, for others. Mm-hmm. So how would you recommend people begin this process if they haven't really thought much about it before? Mm. Um, like, what's a first step? Get a coach. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find someone, reach out to someone who's a professional in leading such a process, for example. Mm. Look, for, look for a career coach, for example. Um, these are people who are trained to lead you and guide you through such a process of discovery. I've done career coaching for many, many years and outplacement coaching and consulting, you know, supporting managers who who got laid off in reorienting themselves. And the first thing you look at is really, who am I? What can I bring to the the table? Uh, What are my core competencies and qualities? What are my values, my my beliefs, etc., etc.? So that you can then, once you have this, um, start thinking of the next big question, which is what is my ideal environment to thrive? What are the characteristics that my environment needs to 
have so that I can perform at my best and bring out who I really am, right? And, and my true essence and contribute to something bigger. Mm-hmm. And then once this is clear, these two things are clear. Who am I and what what's the ideal conditions I need? Now, with this clarity, you can start looking for uh, opportunities in the job market. Mm-hmm. Most people or many people begin with that last step. They just look for opportunities, jobs, vacancies without having done the work first, right? And maybe to end with an image again, um, if you were a plant, the first step is to find out what plant are you? Mm -hmm. Are you an oak tree? Are you a, a rose bush? Are you a tulip? What plant are you? And what does a plant need to flourish? Mm. What's the only thing a plant, any plant needs to flourish and to thrive? Ideal conditions. Mm. So what, what plant I am and what conditions do I need? And then you put yourself in these conditions and then you watch yourself thriving. I love it. Thomas, thank you so much. What a great conversation. <laughs> if people want to find you, where can they go? They can go online and look for thomasjelmy.com, uh, which is my website. Uh, they can um, look for me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and just connect with me, drop me a line. And I'm also um, launching this year an online uh, self-learn program where people are being guided through such processes uh, at their own pace, self-service, with some online lessons, some uh, instruments to work with. So look for this coming up. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.